It's complicated. Does anyone in the room have it all figured out? Just, <clears throat> I'm going to spend a whole month on one subject. I'm doing this because I believe that this subject will change everything, not just for you personally, but in all of Christendom. Meaning churches that believe in the Jesus as presented by the Bible. I'm going to be talking about a word that you've probably heard a hundred times, maybe a thousand. And my deepest heart is that I can redefine that word for you in a way that will give it not just greater meaning, but just life-changing power in your life. So, I'm going to be getting into some Greek today. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm what you call a redneck. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the sun as a teenager. But I do believe that Jesus gave us a way to escape the um, delusion and illusions of the world around us. And so that's what we'll be talking about. We're talk the word I'm going to be talking about a lot is the word metanoia. Metanoi, metanoia, metanoia. There's another, there's a verb form that I can't pull up at the moment, but the same word. And I know you're like, oh, cool, but <laughs> you're excited. But it's our word, the, the English translation of the word has been the word repent or repentance. But by the time I'm done today, I think you'll understand that that word is not adequate to capture what metanoia means. And if we can if we can capture what metanoia means, I believe it'll change this community. I, th I think God is using this to change the world right now. Just a simple understanding of what this simple word means. You know, it's kind of a crazy world. You guys remember that old movie, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World? I mean, it's like, I know if you're like me, you're probably sitting around some days going, I think the world's gone absolutely insane. I mean, now, don't get me wrong, I've thought that my whole adult life. I mean, I, I think there's something wrong. I, I think the ship, the ship is listing, sinking. I'm not sure there's a way to shore it up. You know, I, I don't know. Um, and theologically, and when I say theologically, I'm just meaning that from the perspective of God and all of this, I know that the theological problem is something called sin. That's what we, we use that word in church a lot, sin. You probably call them mistakes or something like that. But when mistakes are intentional, that's actually sin. And so I think, I think at the root that that's the problem of what's going on. But I'm not talking about sin as in your personal mistakes. I'm talking about sin as a power and as a system that grinds up the innocent and rewards the corrupt. That's what I think is going on in the world, that there's a system in play that's just grinding people up, and it doesn't matter what continent you live on, what your political affiliation is, your religion, even your morality is, the truth is that this world flat out rejects God as their father and creator. That's the simple answer. Now, you may be thinking, well, that may be the answer, but what does, what does that do? How does that help us... Um, fix anything. Well, I want to, I want you to consider this scripture in Romans chapter one. I'm going to read a couple places out of Romans chapter one. And I, Romans chapter one would likely offend you or someone close to you, but I think it really captures what's wrong in the world. Now, 
I should say that before you get to the passage I'm about to read, Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God to salvation. Or I'm not afraid of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation. So I want you to know that what Paul says in starting in verse 21 is predicated by God saying, I have done everything for you. I have pursued you. Okay, that's, that's the preface to what I'm about to read. So here's what happened. Here's what God says. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, through the hand of Paul, they knew God. But they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. They instead became utter fools. Oh, 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 I want to come back to that. Okay. So I just want you to see that what's happening in the world is not unknown to God. Actually, if you are a believer, a follower of Christ, and you read the Bible, what's happening in the world should not surprise you. What we are living right now is actually just a natural sequence of events because of the rejection of God. Okay? People don't want God as their father. They want to make up ideas of what God's like. They want to imagine that God is mean and that God's out there somewhere and God's not close. God's dying to crush them. They, they want to believe that God doesn't love them. Or they want to believe that God can be manipulated in some way. And so understand that what we are living in the world today, I believe, is because of a rejection of God. We live in a world that finds a million ways to be offended, a million ways to corrupt, a million ways to harm, steal, and destroy, and a million ways to oppress. I say, welcome to Babylon, which is a, an ancient evil city of the past. But now it applies to the whole world. Okay? And I want out. I don't want to play. I don't know how you feel about it. But any system that grinds up the innocent and rewards the corrupt, I don't want to play. And I believe the answer is Christianity. But the problem goes a little bit further. And I'm going to use the message translation. Because sometimes the message is just straight up a smack in the face. And sometimes I need a smack in the face. What did God do about it? I mean, people reject God, so what does God do? Because if God is like people think he is, then God shows up, throws a temper tantrum, and spanks everybody. That's not what happened. Now, I know you're probably saying, well, I can think of a few places where that happened. Actually, in all of those places you're thinking of, God offered so much mercy to keep people from jumping off a cliff. But, back up in the message, I love how Eugene Peterson puts it. So God said, here's what God did when everybody rejected. So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. Think about it. Everyone thinks God's the tyrant. And what God actually does is let people make their choices without interfering. Occasionally, in extreme cases, he does interfere, no doubt. But for most of us, and most of the people you know, God doesn't interfere. And so the message goes on to say, it wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth, filthy inside and out. You know, Eugene Peterson really cuts a few corners, doesn't he? He tries to really softens things up. And all this because they traded the true God for a fake God, worshipped the God they made, Instead of the God who made them. This is the situation of the world. God does not fight stubborn, rebellious people. God doesn't stop them. God won't stop you. 
And I don't know if Stanley Kramer got the idea of a mad, 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 is there five of them, world from Paul or not. But the world is a bunch of crazy people chasing a metaphorical cash-filled suitcase everywhere you go. And I believe there's a way out. Jesus, in Matthew 4, 17, if you read Matthew's account, Jesus is baptized by John. When he comes out of the water, the spirit visibly descends from heaven like a dove. And the Father's voice says over Jesus what the Father's voice says over every believer that turns to Christ. This is my dearly beloved son and who I am greatly pleased. When Jesus came out of that, and we studied all this last year, when he came out of the water, the spirit led him into the wilderness. And last year we learned that was for tactics. That wasn't a punishment, it wasn't a test. It was to prepare Jesus on how to beat everything that was gonna get thrown at him because the rest of his ministry, he would continually be going to that wilderness, that quiet place to be with his father. He spent 40 days in the wilderness. And when he came out, he had beaten the devil. He was hungry, so he probably stopped at a McDonald's or whatever the Hebrew version of it was 2,000 years ago. And then his ministry began. And the very first thing he said is what I'm about to read to you. Matthew 4, 17 from that time, Jesus began to preach, proclaim, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <laughs> repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I use the NLT a lot. It's one of my favorite reading translations, but I hate the way it translates this text. Because in this text, in your NLT, it says, repent of your sins. For the kingdom of heaven is near, and that is not what's in the text. One word is there, the word metanoia. And that word doesn't have the word sins or hamartia be the Greek word attached to it. It just has the word metanoia, which is two words. And that's what we're talking about today. That's what we're going to dig into. Jesus starts everything with the word repent, with the word metanoia. He starts his ministry. And when it says in Matthew 4, 17, that Jesus began to preach, what it's telling you is, this is the core of his message. It's not like he came out, said it one time, and moved on. Every time Jesus taught, he began here. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. A kingdom has arrived. And so to understand that kingdom, embrace that kingdom, walk in that kingdom, learn about that kingdom, you have to repent. You have to metanoia. And the idea of repentance is so much more than what we think it means. <clears throat> Excuse me. The current understanding of repentance is one of regret and remorse and an attempt not to do it again. And so that's what we often mean. We often say, we say, hey, listen, you have to repent of your sins. That's what we mean. You need to regret that you have committed sins, made those intentional mistakes. You need to regret that, and you need to intend to do better. That is not what metanoia means. That's not what it means. It, certainly, it can be applied there, or it wouldn't have made it this far. But nonetheless, that's not even close. That's like circling the neighborhood of what Jesus meant. And this word, by the way, Jesus preached it. By the way, John the Baptist preached it first. 
So Jesus comes out of the wilderness picking up where John is ending, basically, where John left off. You'll never guess who else taught it. Every single one of the disciples. The day of Pentecost begins with the word repent. Metanoia. Okay? But it doesn't just mean feel bad and change. Why is this important? People's life is starting, their faith is beginning with an idea of repentance that they need to feel bad for what they've done and change. And they do that, and then they begin to live their Christian life, try to pursue their faith, and they never return to the idea of repentance. When you talk about repentance, their mind says, oh yeah, I've already done that. And I'm here to tell you that metanoia is just like salvation. It is not a moment. It is a journey. It is a process. It is ongoing. When you step into repentance, as it has been called, or metanoia, when you step into it, you're not stepping into a single moment that will live in your past. You are stepping into a process of following Jesus. You are stepping into something that you will do the rest of your life on earth. Does that make sense? I'm going to show you. Don't panic. Well, you can panic a little bit. You never know what I'm going to do. But, you know. What is this thing? So I said it's Greek. It's made up of two words. The first word is the word nos. And uh, that's not the stuff you guys are injecting into your engines to go faster to get to church. It's something else, okay? What is nos? And you've heard me use words like Gnosticism, which is an ancient philosophy thought that still thrives today. It's an old concept. In fact, it comes from Plato and Aristotle. They're the guys who really began to to drive on this idea of nos. It's the basis for the age of reason, the modern age. Uh, ideas of like, I think, therefore I am, and knowledge is power. These are all deeply embedded in this concept of, of nos. And often the word nos is simply translated as mind. So you've probably heard when someone explained repentance, maybe even me, say that it's about a changed mind. But nos doesn't mean mind like that organ in your head. It doesn't even mean mind like the things you think. And I'm from the South, and in the South we have an expression, well, I'm of a mind to slap your jaw right off of your face. I'm of a mind to. It's a, I don't know if they do it anywhere else in the country, but like I said, I'm kind of redneck, you know? I, I would apologize, but it fits, you know? So I'm, it's like a flannel shirt you wear around with holes in it. It just feels good. So, nos is not what you think in particular or by itself. It's not your brain. Nos is your narrative. Nos is like, who am I in this world? Who am I among these people? So, your nos, your mind... Is your, it's filled with your assumptions about the world, assumptions about your community. It's filled with your history and what you believe about it. In our world, we live in the West of the West, and we, our NOS is fueled by different kinds of narratives and stories from American history and Western history, where we get our identity. But it isn't just about your identity, 
It's about your identity within a community. Nos is who I am and how who I am exists in the circle of those around me that matter to me. Okay? So it's a whole lot bigger than just what I think. It's basically my understanding of self in the world that I'm in. It's my paradigm, my framework for all decisions, my framework for all choices, for everything I do. This is my nos, my understanding of myself within a system. It's based on beliefs, beliefs, some that I formed. Most of those beliefs, though, were handed to me by someone else, and I have just accepted them as true. That's what NOS is. Your understanding of self in this world, how to operate in it, how to make changes in it, how to affect it, mainly how to get acceptance in it. That's your NOS. So this word metanoia is made up of the word NOS, and then it's made up of the word meta. And I know you're thinking about Mark Zuckerberg, because you love to think about Mark Zuckerberg, am I right? No. Uh, you know, I don't know if you know this, but Mark's a copycat. <sighs> he pulled the concept of meta from this Greek word. And uh, what Mark Zuckerberg wants to do, and he almost destroyed Facebook in 2022, at least financially to do it, is he wants to build a metaverse. He wants to build a, a higher, another reality, in his own image, of course, for you to exist in, for you to transcend into. He, he wants this for you. It sounds really terrifying to me when I think about it. But the word meta is simply, it's a root word. It simply means above, beyond. It, it could even mean overarching. It's just a, a prefix that means more comprehensive or transcendent. And Mark wants you to transcend this life and live in his metaverse. But he stole the idea from a guy named Jesus who walked on the scene after beating, slap, slapping the jaws off the devil. I know, redneck expression. And he began his ministry by saying, metanoia, transcend above your old belief about yourself and the world in which you live. See, metanoia isn't just feeling bad about what you've done and trying to do better. Metanoia is believing that you have absolutely no understanding of who you actually are and walking into a new community that better fits your true identity. Metanoia is starting to believe something about yourself that you had no idea nor hope that was true. First of all, that you are dearly loved and greatly enjoyed by God. Oh, this is an aside. Please forgive me. I don't know if you know this or not, but when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness and Jesus had just come out of the baptism and what he had just heard from his father was, this is my dearly loved son who I greatly enjoy. And he goes in the wilderness. The first two, temptation, two temptations of the devil were the exact same temptation he laid on Eve. They started with the question, if you are the son of God, and he wouldn't even give him the bonus of, if you are the beloved son of God, the devil will never let you know or believe that you're beloved by your father. So, Mark started the metaverse 
So here's what, here's some ideas on repentance from some guys who were smarter than me. By the way, you could, you don't have to go far to find those guys, okay? <laughs> Richard Neubauer, I, I, Neuber, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it right, it's probably German. The Christian responsibility to repent demands more than simply expressing feelings of regret for moral wrongdoing and a vague desire for reform. Probably need to write that down. Rather, it involves the recognition and rejection of various false frameworks for understanding the world itself. That's what Jesus meant when he said metanoia, coming out of the wilderness. What you believe about the world is wrong. What you believe about yourself is wrong. Everything you think is going to make you accepted or powerful or strong in this world, it's wrong. It's not true. You need to rise up. You need to transcend a world that's in darkness to live in a community in a world that is the kingdom and that is light. That's what Jesus was saying by repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. One more, Alistair McGrath, a Anglican theologian. The Greek term metanoia, traditionally and inadequately described as repentance, means something more like a radical change of mind or a fundamental intellectual reorientation through which we turn away from older habits of thought and action and embrace a new way of thinking and living. This is why this is so important. Many of us have come to faith through this pathway of repentance and a prayer. And it's in our past. And what Jesus gave us was metanoia, which was a continual process by which we continue to rise into the kingdom of God. If Jesus said repent, and our, th- and our thinking and our understanding of self must transcend to a higher place. The kingdom. Then that means we have to let go of the things that are holding us back. Yeah. If you're stuck in life, something's blocking you. Alistair McGrath goes on to say, repentance means not primarily a sense of regret, but a renunciation of a narrow and sectarian human views which are not large enough for God's mystery. It's about a transformed metaphysical vision of reality. I love to hear an Anglican say the word metaphysical. It gives me great joy. Metanoia makes it possible for you to expand your horizons, your belief systems, your framework to more adequately adequately or completely accept the possibilities that God has for you, your family, your church, and your community. What we know, what we've been handed in this world is not enough to process what God can do in this world. This is why Jesus said, with God, nothing's impossible. 
Because Jesus could see it from a transcendent perspective. He was above it. He could see from the light of the kingdom into the darkness of the world. And he realized the Father can do anything. Nothing's impossible for the Father. And we're walking impossible every day. We're looking at things every day with cynicism and negativity and, and, and criticism. It can't get any better. Nothing can change. No one can help. What can we do? And Jesus is looking at things that are absolutely impossible and seeing possibility. Who looks at a dead person and sees possibility for their future? Who looks at a lame person and sees an Olympic champion? A blind person and sees a navigator of the stars. I don't know. That's the best analogies I got. Sorry. But it comes at a price. Because I'm talking about stepping out of the paradigms that are accepted by the cultural norms and by our society. And I know you're, you may be sitting there going, that sounds good, but I'm not sure what he's talking about. That's because what I'm talking about... <laughs> is in the, in the mystery of God. It's, it's stepping out into something that's far larger than we've had frameworks for before. And if, if we can learn to, to start, last week we talked about doing things poorly, learning that failure is just a process of growth and stepping into the presence of God and being willing to fail. It's the same with metanoia, stepping into a, a higher way of looking at this world, looking at the earth from heaven. Looking at it from Jesus' perspective. Looking at it from the Father's possibilities. But it comes at a cost. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, that sounds like fun. Did you guys know that was part of the gospel right there, this possible hate thing? If the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, if you thought like it, if you would obey their frameworks and live in their paradigms, they would love you. But I chose you to come out of the world. I chose you to escape the mad, 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 mad world. I chose you for something better. Will you live in the cosmos or will you live in the kingdom? You see, Jesus presented a new metaverse. See, Mark just stole it from him and made it worse. A new metaverse where God actually loves you and enjoys you. A new metaverse where God rescues his enemies. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus got in trouble almost the first day out of the wilderness with people. Like they wanted to push him off a cliff day one. And that's when you know you're doing well, right? I mean, just... <laughs> How you know you're doing a good job as a minister? They tried to push me off a cliff. I live in Wyoming and Rock Springs. There aren't any. Landed in Bitter Creek. Anyway, so... Um, which may have been worse than a cliff. Anyway, so... Um, you see, when Jesus revealed his mission to those people, <laughs> it, he... He told them about two people that God saved, Naaman, the guy with leprosy, and the widow of Zarephath, who was a non-Jew Sidonian, two people who were not Jews. One of them was a straight-up enemy of Israel, Naaman. And so when he tells them about God saving, he uses two stories from the Old Covenant are people, about people who were non-Jews and not friends of the Jewish people. 
That was part of the reason they ran him out of town, because the Jewish mind of the Messiah was, was very racist, actually, about what it was going to be. So Jesus presents this community where God, God doesn't destroy his enemies, he saves them, Naaman, the widow. A, a kingdom where if you are persecuted, it's an honor. A kingdom where mercy is foundational to everything that happens in that kingdom. A kingdom where grief is the key to joy, truthfulness and forgiveness are the culture and the atmosphere. It's a kingdom without anger, with clear honesty and real love. Prior to Jesus coming, the only countercultural thing on the planet was the nation of Israel. And they did not do a good job. Their message at the time was not that God loves the world. It was that God is, can't wait to destroy you guys and enthrone us. It's still that, by the way. I should throw that out there. That's just Judaism. And so that was their message. And so Jesus comes and he institutes a thought process, a culture that God wanted on this earth, which I just laid out for you. Now, you saw my red pill quote. The problem with metanoia is that you get ejected from the matrix. Now, of course, I'm referring to late 90s, early 2000s. I don't know when that thing came out. I'm just old enough. It was really important to me. Keanu Reeves was so cool. The Wachowski brothers borrowed every religious system they could find to make that movie. It was ridiculous. But there was a lot of Judeo-Christian concept in it, along with a lot of mythology. So in, in the film, <laughs> you, have, you have this Morpheus character. Morpheus is Greek for the god of dreams slash nightmares. Morpheus means form or void of form or shapeless or no, no, it means form or shape, which is funny because the Greek word hamartia means void of form, void of shape. And we read in Genesis chapter one that the earth was created and was without form and void. And so by that logic, that stretch of it, at least, you could say that when God created the world and he walks into it in Genesis chapter one, that it was a world without a dream. Because that's what Morpheus is. He creates a dream or a nightmare or stewards it, or handles it, or whatever it is. But in the film, Morpheus is a very cool Lawrence Fishburne character with the sunglasses you can't buy anywhere, because I've looked. <laughs> By the way, they wore sunglasses in the film so you couldn't see their eyes flicker when they were shooting guns. That was the main purpose of the sunglasses, by the way, which I thought was interesting. But in the film, Morpheus dares Neo, which is the Keanu Reeves character. Neo means new. So, the dream, the nightmare, dares new to take the red pill. He uses such cool phrases like, there's something wrong in the world. It's like a splinter in your mind. And sounds really cool. But if he challenges him and if he takes the red pill, it'll corrupt the software. And then Neo will be free of the delusion of the world in which he lives. So... He does. And then the story gets very interesting. The first time I saw it, I was completely shocked by what happened. Uh, from then on, I was too, but that's just because I like being shocked, I guess. But still, what happens at this point is that the pill corrupts the illusion, and now Neo is ejected from the Matrix 
And this is the problem. There's so many problems with the matrix theologically. We borrow analogies from it, but the funny thing about the movie is, as soon as the guy comes to the truth, he gets ejected out of the dream and into a living hell. Because the enemy lies. I think Jesus inverts that. I think when you come to metanoia, you get ejected out of the nightmare and you get to walk into God's dream. So, the problem though is, once you take the red pill, once you transcend your thinking, once you abandon the old paradigms and the old decision-making frameworks, once you do that, you're rejected from the matrix. This world has no hold on you anymore. You don't have to play by its rules anymore. In fact, according to Jesus, you actually have authority because he does over the rules of the darkness. It puts you in a very, very powerful place. But you should know that when you step out of what the world has for you, you're no longer their friend. And that's hard to accept for many. But I'll tell you this. It is better to be the friend of Jesus, who is eternal life, than it is to be the friend of people who can't see and have no hope. Does that make sense? So when we talk about metanoia, we talk about escaping a nightmare and embracing the kingdom, heaven, the dream, God's dream. Now, I said, as I walked through this process about metanoia, and, and I realized today is a little bit deeper than we're normally threading. I said earlier that this isn't just a moment for you. This is a process for you. And here's what I mean by that. Let's say uh, Steve came to town a little over five years ago. What if I had, on the Sunday before his first Sunday at Ordinary Faith, they just moved to town, and I handed him a map of Rock Springs circa 1940. And some of you are thinking, what was around in the 40s? Some of you are old enough to remember what was around in the 40s. So Steve, I give him the map and I say, listen, here's the map. I'll see you at church on Sunday. It's at Young at Heart Senior Center, 2400 Reagan Avenue. Do you know what would not be on the map from the 1940s? Reagan Avenue or Foothills, or Stagecoach, or Dewar Drive. The main roads back then were 9th Street, Pilot Butte, Center Street, Front Street. Those were the actual streets in the 40s. Interstate wasn't here yet. I think it was still old Highway 30 at that point. I, can't, I think the interstate came in late 50s, early 60s. So I give him a map and say, all right, I'll see you at church on Sunday and don't be late. <laughs> now I know you're sitting going, well, he'll just tell Siri how to get him there. But this was five years ago, and Siri hated us back then, too. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> I want to say this gently, but it is true, and we need to wrap our heads around it. What if churches in America are trying to navigate a world where our primary issues are broken homes, transgenderism, homosexuality, financial destitution, hunger, homelessness. What if we're trying to navigate a ministry reality 
with a map that's 50 or 100 years old. This is why the church needs metanoia. You see, Jesus, we, we call him the incarnation. We mean, what, what we mean by that is Jesus is God become flesh. And what that means is, to us, is that the Son of God came to earth 2,000 years ago as a Jewish man. A Jewish man. And he lived under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And he lived under the legalism of the Jewish system of religion. Basically, what I'm telling you is the Son of God became a person within a system, within a culture, and he, from that, he represented his Father with that message of repent and that message of he is my Father and he loves me and that message of God loves you. God so loved the world. That is what he did. He came into a culture. What that teaches us is that Jesus Jesus intends for all of us to be incarnational in an aspect because he fills us every part of our life, everywhere you go, is the potential for Jesus to show up because Jesus is in you. And that's the world we live in. We have to, we have to think of church in a, in a different way, in a bigger way. Where we came from got us here. I love it. I thank God for it. I can thrive in it. But I'm looking down the road. I'm looking past the end of my life. And if I don't lose some weight, it could be closer than I like. And I want to make sure that my grandchildren have access to Jesus. Does that make sense? I want to make sure... What I love about ordinary faith is you can come here and not believe in God. We're okay with it. Because I'm telling you, I'll speak, I, I think I can say this for Steve. If not, just shout no when I'm done. Steve and I have both struggled deeply with our faith. We expect that you will struggle deeply with your faith. In fact, if you're not struggling with your faith, you're not honestly considering it. We are not one of those churches that are like, hey, this is how it is. Just accept it and carry on. No, 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 no. That's not faith. That's religion. That's rules. That's baloney. I did pretty good there. I was, that got close. <laughs> when, I, when, I, <laughs> when I was a young pastor, I was doing a revival, and uh, I said to the, I was talking about something like that, and I said, you know, that's just a load of bull. And boy, did I hear about it later. This lady comes to me, we know you meant the rest of that. <laughs> I think the pastor got in trouble. It was in some other guy's church. You see, God's doing a new thing. He's making streams in the desert. He's making a road where there wasn't one. He's always doing this. The problem is, we, we in our experience, we get to a point that we like we get to this, this is how Rock Springs got here. People were traveling and they got tired of traveling. <laughs> it's just far enough. I can drink rocks. I can't go farther. Rock Springs works for me. I'm sure the railroad had something to do with the coal mine, but still. 
People came and they didn't want to go any farther. And this is what happens in Christendom, which is the view of all the churches. We get to a point and we go, oh, I like this. This feels good. And I, it makes me happy. And I like being happy and you like being happy. But just because you found a spot in the road to be happy doesn't mean you've reached the destination. Okay? And that's what God's doing. To, this is what I believe God's doing today. It's why we do services the way we do. It's, it's why we want to engage with people. We want to give you space to make questions, uh, to have questions. When I teach, I'm always going to try and make words as simple as possible so you can wrap your head around them. The concepts as easy as I can so you can wrap your head around them. I, I'm doing that. But I'm also knowing that God is taking us in a generation that's coming right now. I believe there's a generation of faith being born, coming to faith, not as generation, generation, but one of coming to faith of this season, that, that God is going to walk through them and walk out Jesus out in their life in ways we haven't seen before. And I am, I am not going to be the pastor guy that stands up and says, you know what? I've never seen it that way before, so it must not be God. That will never be me. I'll be like, I want to take, John said in his letter, test the spirits. And I think we have to realize that the problems that my children, which are millennials, the younger ones are, I guess, Gen Z, and Gen Z are facing are different than the ones I faced at their age. My kids came of age in a world, how could I even hope to understand? When I was a teenager, our phone was still connected to the wall. If you wanted to talk to me, you had to talk to my mom first. And that was not pleasant, by the way. She had questions. You could have gotten me in trouble. Because she would ask, well, how, did, how was last Friday night? Michael said he was over when he wasn't over. I wasn't always a pastor, I should say. I'm still naughty, but I was even more naughty at that point. <laughs> Repentance calls us to continually transcend into the kingdom. To continually come above, be more comprehensive. To realize that our God cannot be contained. He cannot be contained. And so if we can, as believers, step into that and begin to, to accept the fact that we serve a, an awesome, mighty, powerful, impossible God, and we can begin to look at a world with problems that we don't even understand, but it's okay because God does and God can do the impossible. By the way, this was not part of the message, but I will throw this in. We should also learn to listen to our children and grandchildren. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry if I, this, anyway, here I go. I'm doing it anyway. I am so tired of generational inconsideration. And what I mean by that is this. Uh, when I was a teenager, I didn't care what my parents had to say. But also my parents didn't care what I had to say. And as I've grown older, I've realized, one, my children grew up in a different world than I did. And it is my job as a parent to learn how to comprehend what they're trying to tell me and not just dismiss them because they are younger than I am. That's really rude and insensitive to absolutely dismiss someone 
just because they're younger than you. And let me remind you what Paul said to Timothy. He said, don't let anyone despise your youth. And it's true. I know things that my children don't know. I have perspectives. I've experienced things that they can't understand yet. But you know what else I've learned? I've learned that they know things I don't know. They're experiencing the world very differently than I did. And the world has changed. And I don't like it either. I would rather just, you know, sit in my little cocoon and let it all float away. But it doesn't. Eventually it comes and beats down your door. And the kingdom is here. The church is here. Christianity is here. To rise up in a world that's broken and hurting and believes that God hates them or tries not to believe in Him because they think He hates them. Our job is to stand here and say, repent, metanoia, there's a better way to think. There's a better framework. There is something larger and bigger and more possible for you than you ever imagined. Your Father adores you and wants to be in your life. He is not hiding from you. He's not standing back and waiting for you to get it all right before he does something. He's not waiting to crush you. He is dying to love you. In fact, he has already died through his son Jesus on the cross for the privilege to love you. I dream of a day when people... Christians are so impacted by that truth that the gospel begins to radiate off of their life because they're living from a whole new system. They're living in the year 3000. They're thinking things differently because they've, they've stepped above the past. They see it for what it was, a pathway that got us here. I mean, nostalgia is nice, man. I, I would love to drive a 1967 Camaro once. That'd be nice. Never got to back then, but I'd like, you know, I could... I mean, nostalgia is nice, but it's not the future, right? Traditions are good. They got us here. They taught us things. Traditionalism is just another religion. Follow Jesus. Repent. Metanoia. Think higher. Let Jesus, the Word of God, the voice of the Spirit, Transform your thinking, Romans 12, 1, until you're thinking from heaven instead of earth. For today, right now your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Just going to give you a couple instructions, just offerings really, because I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm trying to redefine repentance and metanoia in your mind and heart. And today was kind of technical. We dug into a few things. And as we progress through this, we'll learn more as to how this applies in every area of our life. But today, I think the invitation is, I think what the Spirit's asking us to do is to ask Him, what is it we need to leave behind? What is no longer working for us in our thinking? What is it that's no longer working for us in our understanding of ourselves within a world that's very broken and very dark? Because that's, that is where repentance begins. I begin to see things that are not working for me. They are not making me healthy. They're not good for my thought life. They're not good for the fruits of my life. 
And I learned to let those go. And so that's what, as we sing in a minute, I have the, a cross and a basket and some cards and some pens set up on my right, your left. If it would help you to write it down and leave it in that basket. Uh, if you want to write something down and put a phone number and a name, if you want to talk to someone, and it would likely be me, just do that. But while we're singing that last song, you could respond to this message. You could, you could leave something behind. It might physically help to do that. Or you could just sing and worship and connect with your father. Or you could pray while you're there. But in the end, Jesus is teaching us to, to metanoia, to, to transcend higher, to have a higher understanding of ourselves in this world and a better understanding of who our Father really is, and a better understanding of who Jesus is as our Lord and Savior. So I pray that today God will show you how you need to respond, and I hope some of these tools will offer, will help. I will have, there will be some people, including myself, over at our prayer tables as well. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the chance to talk about um, big, deep things. Things that I hope will resonate, especially with our younger minds in the room. To realize that Christianity is not rules and routines and rituals. But it is a higher and deeper and far more profound relationship with God. That's way more impactful than anything they might have ever heard. I pray that you would help us to walk into this truth today. Teach us what this means and let it set us free of things throughout the week. Help us this week to see things that are not working for us and to let them go and to transcend, step into something higher and more comprehensive. Understand ourselves in a new system of love and forgiveness and peace. I pray these things in the name of Jesus who taught them to us and invited us into them. In his name, amen. Pastor Steve, you can stand.
Miss Linda. Miss Linda just had something she wanted to share. She felt like the Lord was laying in our heart. And Miss Linda works in an area of our community that gives this some strength. And so I want to give her the mic for a sec. part of my testimony but the Lord tells me you need to hear it I was 18 years old playing a Ouija board for 30 straight nights 30th night in a dorm room I was horribly possessed horribly burning in my bone marrow from my toes all the way through my head. I ran to the community bathroom in the dorm. I didn't recognize who was in the mirror. I didn't know the name of Jesus at the time. I did not know until six and a half years later when I was radically, powerfully, mightily saved walking down an aisle to give my life to Jesus in a teeny tiny church and be baptized. That burning left me from my all the way down out my toes nobody in that room knew the Lord God Almighty radically radically delivered me from a horrific demon I'm telling y'all your children are being bombarded and so are you with new age movement garbage and it's all from the enemy pastors telling you that exclamation point to all pastors telling us is we are being bombarded with lies from the enemy, all false gods, all false gods from Hinduism, Buddhism. Look at all this stuff you got in your house. How many of you are checking your horoscopes? I'm telling you, these are all gateways for demons to enter you and destroy your lives. And that's why you're stuck. That's why you're stuck. The enemy's a liar. All these other religions are telling you Christians are old. They're judgmental. They're controlling. They're stupid. They're in the background. They're not modern. And all these new age religions are wonderful and new and exciting. And you're finding crystals and all these other wonderful things to do in all the different stores you're going in. Lord God, save us from all these lies. That's what got the Jews in trouble every single time as they started welcoming the false gods of the countries around them. Lord God, please come to this higher level. That is people being lost souls trying to get some power in their life and it's all from the enemy same lies Satan told Eve you'll become like God if you, if you disobey God oh get in your word get in the word what is Michael constantly telling us get in the word and come to the higher level of being set free I guess that's it Michael I didn't know I was going to talk like that. Okay. Oh, God, I love you all so much. Please, please listen. Please keep coming. Please stay in the Word of God. Thank you.
You know, uh, we're about done, I know, and, and if you need to go, I totally understand. If you need to pray with somebody, if what Miss Linda laid on uh, share with you is something that you need to talk to someone about, um, come, let's let's pray. Let's let's reason together. Let's let's encounter Jesus. I pray, Lord God, for everything that's happening today. Some things I confess I don't understand. Also know that you are good and you're love. And I pray that you would move in us. And Lord God, that your hand would guide us into a, an understanding of Jesus that frees us from a world that's dark and broken. And I do, I pray for our, our young adults. I just, I'm asking you to shine light into their world. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.